oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the oldest and strongest fear is fear of the unknown. Um, the unknown is what we may be getting into today on episode 41 of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other humans as masterpieces. Uh, I am Nick, and I am joined as ever by Roger, potentially from another dimension. Uh, just keep assuming it's the usual three. It'll, it'll be fine. Okay, good. This is why I keep you on a two-dimension and one screen where possible, because uh, <laughs> in reality, the ocean dimensions are a dreadful strain on the retinas. Um, so, we are having a, a Lovecraft episode. Yeah, we let's start with we are both fans of the writing of H.P. Lovecraft. Not necessarily yes. all of it, but certainly the cosmic horror side of it. Absolutely, that's uh, and uh, the uh, the prologue that really has to be said nowadays with, with Lovecraft is you know there's a reason we don't say fans of Lovecraft is because he was like many great artists problematic. Well, and yeah, and I don't think it goes further than that. I mean, mm. yes, on the one hand, you you can say you you can't use the man of his time excuse because there there, no. there are correspondence in, in which his friends at the time are saying, look, Howard, do you think you maybe could turn it down a bit? <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. But also, uh, some, for, some, yeah, for example, uh, an actor who has turned out to do dodgy things, you can say, well, this is still a good performance. Yeah. Um, but when you're looking at Lovecraft's work, that, that fear of, for example, racial mixing yeah. is very much a part of his, his, uh, Stories and, and a source it of the is, horror. Yeah, I mean, the, the the one that has as as its great revelation: my great grandmother was not white. Exactly. <laughs> Some of his punchline is that you are not of purebred Aryan stock. Effectively, yeah. I mean, he was even for his time um, a racist. You know, there's not really any other way to put it. He also had possibly problematic. Well, problematic views about anything that wasn't uh, kind of largely. British imperial stuff, which he was a real Anglophile, which is, I don't know if that's problematic in itself. We, we, we um, are not responsible for the people who like us, okay? <laughs> exactly. That said, um, I do, I've always, uh, for, and again, like many who came to Lovecraft, I came to him as a teenager, a young teenager, mm -hmm. 12 or 13 or something like that. Best age. I, my, best age to, to get hit by. I, I mean, I remember writing in a, a a lot of it. I mean, it, it could have been worse. It could have been Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> oh, God. I've never got into Ayn Rand, at least. Um, though I have played Bioshock. Um, they, um, I, I look back at some of my GCSE English stories, and they're, they're all basically knockoffs of uh, Lovecraft, to the <laughs> point where they even have the italicised ending, um, <laughs> something <laughs> like that. Um, fortunately, none of them, which are um, particularly racially motivated. Uh, he, uh, unlike... Practically any other. I, I mean, I think. Do we agree that he probably is the twentieth century's greatest horror writer? Certainly, English language horror writer. Yeah, I mean, I only I only qualify English language because I don't know what may have been written in other languages. Yes, um, and I, I think for me, what is great? You mentioned it there earlier. He does dreamland stories and um, stories about, uh, well, the dreamlands and, and the realm beyond the realm of sleep. Is that the name of one of his stories? I think it is. Yeah, I think um, so. But I find them relatively uninteresting. I find other authors like Neil Gaiman, like Dunsany, uh, do that kind of thing better. What he does unparalleled for me is this cosmic horror, the sense that 
it doesn't really matter what humanity does. There are beings out there so much vaster mm. and so much so incomprehensible to the human mind that even learning about them is too much for the human mind, let alone meeting them. And we are to them as ants uh, are to us. That, that, that If they show us any interest at all, it's in what we can do for them. But not in Get out sense. of my sugar lumps. <laughs> exactly. And, and just, he does that, that, that's what I mean by cosmic horror. Mm. Um, and he does, he's a writer that almost uniquely, because his characters are not, frankly, very good. He does women terribly. He almost never talks about sex or normal human relations. I mean, the thing on the doorstep is the closer he comes to talk about sex and that, that's a worrying thing. If that's, mm. if that, um, but, his imagination, you know, the call of Cthulhu is his classic story. Really, not a lot actually happens in the story, but the depth of his imagination of this cult that, and there's this, this whole, these beings that came from beyond the stars and could awaken again, and the way he describes it and evokes it, I just. Uh, his prose is often purple, and he never met an adjective he didn't like. I, I don't <laughs> but, think purple's necessarily a bad thing. No, no. Well, if he can handle it, that's great. It, um, and he can, he absolutely can. And I, I adore his best stories. Are have been a huge influence on me, um, mm. uh, and hopefully not. The, hopefully, I think you're right to point out. You know, these stories come from the mind of Lovecraft, and this was a mind that had significant differences into how they view the differences between people. Yeah, I mean, um, consider for example, um, Red Hook. Which is very clearly the, the the good white people and the bad nasty immigrants, yes, who are also cultists. Um, can, and uh, as we'll probably talk about later, uh, the Shadow of Rinsworth, uh, yes, where it's very much you know they they are they are breeding with foreigners. Exactly. I mean, that is it's much better done than the tale of Arthur Jimmin, which is the the kind of story you alluded to before, where he finds out his grand great 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 granddad's an ape or something like that. Um, uh, yeah, there's also the one. Uh, is it Medusa's coils? Oh yes, yes, I think so. Yeah, they're all great great ma- great grandmother was a voodoo witch, but also she wasn't white. <laughs> exactly. Um, Shadow over Innsmouth is the best done of those, but it still has that as a punchline. I suppose the thing is. With, we'll, we'll talk about Shadow Over Innsmouth later, but that's a good story almost until you hit the punchline for me, rather than because of it. Mm. Um, anyway, I keep calling it punchline. He does like his own. Um, well, we can't call it the Jamesian wallop, can we? <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's a, a brief bit about Lovecraft. We're both um, Lovecraftian. I, you know, I came to, uh, to Lovecraft through Court of Cthulhu, the role-playing game, which is still... Uh, uh, yeah, one of my favourite games. I, I enjoy gaming in that space. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd heard of it uh, when it came out, but I didn't actually play it until a lot later. But there were those, was it Panther? Great big thick omnibus paperbacks of, you know, everything Lovecraft wrote in three great big I books. I think they're Corgi. I have them on there. There were, there were multiple editions. Okay, I, but they are the ones that I read. I, they're right there. Yeah, I still have them as well. The next colours of them are wonderful, um, <laughs> and they're, they're how I experienced Lovecraft through those. And I started with these shorter stories. Sorry, I could, we could do a whole the podcast on it, but the one I think that got me was Pickman's Model because it's relatively mm. short, but it's got all his kind of trademark horror, and that got me into reading At the Mountains of Madness because um, I'd been put off by by the length of it at the age I was. Um, anyway. 
We so, like we like Lovecraft's work. Yeah, so so that feeds into well, why are we doing a Lovecraftathon? Uh, yes. And if you've listened to our previous episode, you'll, you'll realise we weren't super impressed with the films on offer in 1994. No. Uh, and one of the things that keep get, keeps getting said is nobody's ever made a really good Lovecraftian film. <laughs> yes. And we thought, well, let's take a look at a, a couple of the ones that are regarded as relatively good. Well, these I suppose there are films that are... Well, one of the reasons we did In the Mouth of Madness, which is heavily influenced by or purported to be H.P. Lovecraft, and I think we both felt it doesn't feel Lovecraftian. Yeah, it, 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 least... it's got a bunch of the easy stuff. Uh, yes. You know, the the, the names, the, the and words. The, and, yes. Yeah. But, but it doesn't hit the cosmic horror that we were... That we so much enjoy. That's that's what I come to Lovecraft for more than anything yes. else. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there are other films which could be described as Lovecraftian. The films we've settled on are the ones which are probably the interesting for for. Well, I want to talk about this a bit. Some a lot of Lovecraft stories to me are really genuinely quite cinematic. The Dunwich Horror springs to mind. I mean, um, it's mm. a very pulpy story really you know this group of scientists that up their science into arcane arts and go along and defeat the monster with brains um and not it's... not forgetting a flamethrower of the type used in the great war exactly <laughs> there's there's dog attacks there's a miskatonic university there's monsters there's invisible monsters um it's a really great i i think a really cinematic story even the whippoorwill you, there's this idea that when someone dies if the whippoorwill screech up um at night um I can't remember if that is their soul being taken away or what, but it's a very visual image. Hmm. Um, it's, it's, and you know, that is not the only one at the mountains of madness. Which I mean, know. just think how you could render that in, in, into a film. You know, you, you've got this constant background noise. Yeah. And then it suddenly stops. That, exactly. that could, that could be think, beautiful. And similarly, uh, uh, at the mountains of madness is an epic adventure tale hmm. with, um, with a really cool idea at the bottom of it as well. I know Del Toro was uh, heavily involved in it, and it, it fell through for uh, Hollywood reasons, uh, I'm sure. But that is really cinematic, as is, uh, as we'll talk about, The Shadow Over Innsmouth, I think. Um, mm. Call of Cthulhu, probably less so, because that's a very kind of... Um, it, it has, of course, been made into a film by the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society, and I, I, I do like that a lot. I, I like it. I do think... I, I don't think know, it's the last word in the films of that story. No, I agree. Um, I, I think it could really benefit from some chunky budgets being poured into it, which, um, uh, much as I love the H.P.L.H. Uh, story, is it doesn't, <laughs> frankly. Mm. Um, and I, I was less of a fan of their version of The Whisper in Darkness. But yeah. again, that's... Um, uh, that, 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 anyway, my point being, you, the colour out of space actually, which we didn't get round to watching for this one, but that's been filmed a number of times quite well, I think. Yeah, uh, Die Farbe, the, the German version I think we've mentioned before, uh, as, as the, because the only time it uses colour is for the colour. Which is a great idea, yes. Um, and that there is a Nicolas Cage version, which I have been recommended and haven't got round to watching. Yeah, yet. same here. But we have we come back on to the it. films of, Stuart Gordon, or two of them specifically, um, because he is, I, I don't think it's controversial to say, probably regarded as the most faithful adaptations, or uh, amongst the most faithful adaptations of Lovecraft's work, and it's surprised what I was coming around saying was, I'm surprised there haven't been more 
very faithful adaptations of Lovecraft's work because I think it is very filmable. What you often get is a film like In the Mouth of Madness which touches on Lovecraft's themes or can be described as Lovecraftian but doesn't actually lift his stories particularly. Mm. Which surprised me and continues to surprise me slightly. So we decided to watch Reanimator... Uh, 1986? Uh, five, I believe. 85, based on Herbert West, Reanimator, an early Lovecraftian, early-ish Lovecraftian story. Mm. Um, and we then moved on to Dagon, confusingly titled, because Dagon's actually not the story it's based upon. Lovecraft did write a story called Dagon, which is very different. Um, but this film is, I would say loosely, but for a Lovecraftian film it's actually quite faithful mm. quite faithfully based on the shadow over Innsmouth. Yeah. Um, so that's why should we launch into Reanimator? Yeah, let's, let's do that thing. And uh, so this well the mm. uh, the, the story the, this um, is the one that everybody says is really the the great film and I yeah not to bury the lead I I really found it quite hard going. You didn't enjoy it at all, did you? I remember. Um, which I, I, which interesting when we we'll come to Dagon. Um, but yeah, it, it was not uh, Reanimator. Uh, well, the the story Herbert West Reanimator actually H.P. Lovecraft himself described as a Frankenstein parody. Hmm. Um, and I don't know that he regarded it as one of his better works. In fact, I'm pretty sure he didn't regard it as one of his better works. Um, I don't regard it as one of his better work. Did you reread it for this podcast? I did, and I, w- I will admit that by the standards of Lovecraft, it's it's exploitation. Yeah. Um, it also doesn't touch upon the thing we, you know, we just uh, espoused as loving, really. It, it doesn't really have the cosmic horror. It is more gory and graphic. Yeah, I mean, it, it's horrific science fiction in the sense that well, I, I think we, we may have said before, I, I think a lot of uh, Lovecraft's ethos about the, the disorientation in the world and so on comes from the sort of scientific discoveries being made at the time. Yes. Uh, and, you know, human, humanity isn't all that terribly important. Earth isn't all that terribly important. Well, that, yeah, he, so he came on. from, you know, within a generation or so, people had discovered, you know, the, well, not quite, that the, the Earth wasn't the centre of the universe, that was um, Copernicus some time before, wasn't it? But uh, every new discovery diminished humanity to some extent, mm. um, which was where Lovecraft was coming from. But the story is of an um, unethical medical student. Yeah, I mean, um, there's, who, there's no suggestion of a cult particularly, simply he, he is taking, taking steps to revive the recently deceased. Yes. And, and that really is the story of Frankenstein as, <laughs> as well. He is well, more unethical and more outwardly villainous, basically, than Victor von Frankenstein ever was. Um, and it is less of Well, a Frankenstein is trying to create the perfect being, to be fair. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and this is, I mean, it's, it's an obsession and it is clearly shown as an obsession. That's quite effective. Mm. Um, but it's basically. Uh, that I, I think that life is purely a chemical process and therefore yeah. um, it ought to be possible to restart it. On the other hand, they need to be dead first because the two are not compatible. Yeah, my, yes. my, my serum and the baseline. 
and the fresher the bodies, the better, and that leads relatively soon to in both the story and and I well let's talk. You've read the story. The the film follows a similar path. It updated it to eighties, uh, contemporary at the time, mm. um, as you know. To be fair, Lovecraft's story was when he wrote it. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think larger tree, largely for budgetary reasons, is why they updated it to modern. Oh, probably times. yeah. Um, this, I mean, the, there are the broad beats of the story are there. You know, Herbert West as a character, I think, is probably a very similar character. He, he is he, still obsessed with with his work. Yeah. Yes. Um, the the narrator who's given a name here as, as Dan is, is a similar sort of character too. In the uh, unwitting, well semi-witting accomplice um, yeah most of what's in the film is in the story except all the yes. bits involving women I was going to say the thing that has been added here are women um, which I, I'm i going to guess though we haven't discussed this may be one of the big reasons of your problems with the film well I mean coming from a slightly different angle I, I was look, considering when this was made and yeah. re- remember when we were talking about the making of Back to the Future uh, which came yeah. out in the same year as this. Uh, the studios, one of the reasons they were turning it down was they wanted more raunchy comedy, like, you know, your animal house and your porkies and things. And that, that yes. feels, this feels as if it's very much in that, you know, gosh, look, we, we, we can be grown up now. We can, sh- we can show breasts. <laughs> yes, it does feel kind of exploitative. Is that the right term? Uh, and, and that sort of raunchy comedy was, was never my thing. Well, you touch so, on the word comedy there. Now, this is it, it definitely has a comedy described as a comedy. It. Uh, well, it's described as a comedy, and I'm not. I, I don't know if that's getting off the hook for some things. Um, I, I mean, I didn't have a. It's interesting. You, you, we, we watched these in the wrong, in, in different orders. In that, I watched Dagon first, and you watched this first, and I had memories of this being a fun film, really, and mm. and sort of fun and forgettable in a way um uh but you had you you didn't like it and i wondered oh am i really not going to like it when i go back and watch it i i didn't have a visceral sort of dislike of it um but uh i do find the elements some elements of it much more difficult now than when i watched it probably 20 years ago mm. um i will agree uh shoot let's um well let's go to it um should we talk about because neither of us are particularly fan of gore um mm. not that i dislike it if it's in the service of the story like our much talked about the thing uh i don't mind it at all i don't i as a i guess a former surgeon and you're a former medical student you know we don't i, I don't think we particularly find it uh sickening I, I, in itself i wonder whether that's part of the problem when we're not finding it shocking and and a thing that is meant to shock that isn't shocking anymore may well have nothing left. That yeah, that's true. Um, you know, we we are not horrified at blood sort of bubbling out of orifices and seeing severed arms, other than finding it interesting from an anatomical perspective. I mean, oh, that's that the wrong. Different. No, nobody ever gets the colour of arterial spray, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, uh, probably least of all in Dawn of the Dead, um, but. Yeah. Uh, uh, not that we don't have sympathy for the characters, it's just it doesn't have the immediate shock value um, to us, perhaps, than it would to some other people. Um, and that does lessen the impact. But And if that's all your film's got, then we're going to be less excited by it. Mm. Um, 
And this film... Now, I, I didn't realise there were a number of different versions of Reanimator. I must have watched the R-rated version, um, which has the hypnosis subplot intact, um, which is basically that, not Dean Halsey, but the other, Dr. Hall? Uh, Hill. Dr. Hill um, is a hypnotist, basically, and, and goes around mesmerising various characters, which got cut out of one of the other films, so I don't know which one you saw, and the the one where it was cut was much more gory, I think. Yeah, I, I saw the uh, unrated with with the uh, with lots of gore, but no hypnotism. Oh, there you go. So we watched different uh, versions of the film, yeah. so that, but that may have affected it, because I wasn't... I, w- I was vaguely remember it being an absolute bloodbath, um, which I suppose it is, but it, it wasn't. When you think, oh my god, it was absolutely... Then uh, it, it wasn't quite as I remembered it. So hmm. we'll talk about the gore, because it's like front and centre, really, of Reanimator. Did, how yeah. do you feel about it? Did well, that... again, I mean, I, I favour practical effects over CGI. I, I can admire it and think it's really well done, but it doesn't... Um, it doesn't raise my enthusiasm for the for the film. Yeah, as a whole, it it tells me, gosh, that's a, that's a really nice practical. Gosh, that actually yeah. looks quite realistic. Whatever, uh, but it 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 doesn't cause me to get excited about what's going on in the film in in the way I think it's supposed to. Well, should we taking it from a kind of a does it look realistic? Uh, how did you feel it rated on there? No, not not like, particularly. <laughs> it, it's cartoony. Um, yeah. I, I mean, some of the cadavers. And look, here we get to kill somebody with a bone saw. Yay. <laughs> I mean, that, I actually did laugh at that <laughs> when you see the, the, um, the circular emerging from the chest of, um, the, uh, so I will admit, I, I was kind of for, uh, forewarned by your misgivings of it, and I thought, right, I really need to remind myself, this is a comedy. This is considered a comedy. Mm. Um, and I watched it in that spirit. And as such, I did, uh, I mean, there are some bits, as you say, that are overtly comical, like, um, West, you bastard. <laughs> and mm-hmm. finally, so, um, and there are a few other, uh, scenes like, oh, there's your, pizza or whatever when they're looking through the morgue um but it's not overtly comic and it's not to me i've talked about this before black comedy to me is the coen brothers and they do it phenomenally well um i don't know this is if it is a comedy then it's a very immature one i agree and it has the same sort of sense of humor as as porkies i think you're right yeah it it feels as if there was a deliberate attempt to blend that with the horror elements yeah yeah, there is, uh, well, we've, we talked on the gore, which I guess we could dwell on more, but neither is, feel it adds a huge amount to the film, even though it is, well, I suppose, I mean, the film would not have been as successful as it was, uh, in that it was a huge cult hit, um, without all that stuff. Um, yeah, it, it's also got, um, had a complicated genesis. I believe it was originally going to be a stage adaptation of, you know, th- this is, this starts with Stuart Gordon thinking, there, there are too many Dracula films. I want to see a different Frankenstein film. Yeah, and then he found out, and that, then he then then he got found out about Reanimator. Um, yeah. Then then there's going to be a stage uh, version, and he, then he had was, a stage troupe that was known for controversial stuff, I believe, Stuart Gordon. Yeah, uh, and then that got turned into a TV pilot. And then that got into 13 episodes, and then that got squashed back down to the feature film. 
that they could actually get distribution for. Well, I think that was probably the best. I'm not sure 13 episodes of this would have been. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe, uh, uh, maybe it would have been, but, um, I, I think it works better as a relatively short, I'm always grateful for a relatively short <laughs> film, to be honest. And it does not, the film does not drag, I didn't think. Did you, how did you feel about the pace? No, I think that's fair. It, it, uh, uh gallops along at a fellow. I, I do, yeah, it's not a particularly mature, for, you know, the villains are, comedic villains it's supposed to be a comedy isn't it but you know dr hill particularly is a Mm. complete vaudeville pantomime character um i i would say even once he's dead yeah even once he's especially once he's dead um i was impressed the first time i watched it with jeffrey coombs and i remain impressed with him now i I think oh yeah He, he rescues it yeah yeah I, he's uh, he really leans into it, um, and I, I again, you'll know better than me, but he does feel like the character from the novel put in the film. He, mm. he is that that person. And he he does he sells the the kind of comedy where it works as a comedy. It's through him. Um, he's earnest. But... It's that sort of comedy where you play the thing completely straight. Mm-hmm. Yes, and he is. Um, yeah, he's very believable and likable. Well, not quite likable, but very watchable. Is that the mm. right way to put it? And you can you can almost see why uh, Dan goes along with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these are huge concepts, and Dan, you know, has more humanitarian. You also, partially from the performance, partially from the dialogue, you're well aware that Herbert West has gives no shits about saving humanity or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He's in it for the glory. Um, and again, not not it's, even it's, the glory, I think, maybe as much as knowing that knowing himself that he has done it. Yeah, you're right. Yes, it's it's just the the sheer I'm cleverer than everyone else. Look what I've done. Mm-hmm. That, that kind of stuff. He's just so uh, vain. So yes, I I do. Yeah, let's single out Jeffrey Coombs as I, I think a really good performance here, and I I agree. I don't think the film would have worked without him. Uh, like Doctor Hill. It's a good performance and, and does what he needs to do, but it's, it's less, mm. less memorable for that. Um, and then we have, um, Dan and, uh, his girlfriend whose character name I've forgotten. Uh, Megan. Megan. Uh, I don't know what their performance is. Fairly bland for both of them, really. I mean, mm. ni- neither of them have a lot of interesting stuff to do, particularly. Well, Barbara Crampton gets to scream a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about the treatment of of women then, shall we? In in this film, or I guess we have to the treatment, <laughs> the treatment of the woman in this film. Um, uh, well, there, there there is some there is that um, somebody in, in in the very opening scene. Oh yes, yeah. There's a nurse, yeah. yeah. But basically, yeah. It, um, in in the main uh, narrative, Megan is the female character, and she gets no, sexually menaced and she gets sexually assaulted. She's she's basically defined by her relationship to the men. I don't if she if we told what job she has or what she's doing. I she's a student, is she? Uh, is yeah, there's, there's a mention of. Uh, ooh, was there a mention? I mean, I know I, I know she's going like to. I know she's going to get married down when he graduates, but I, um, yeah. Well, that, I, no, I notice she's the dean's daughter. She's Dan's boyfriend. She's defined basically by her relationship. She's the victim of Hill. She doesn't really have any anything going on herself. She's just defined by her relationships with the guys in the film. Mm. Um, 
And I mean, I don't, a performance is. I don't know about her performance. She's put in some memorable situations. I mean, the, yeah. the elephant in the room is that basically the the giving head joke, mm. um, which is uh, more problematic now, and it feels like it's just set up to do a punchline. I don't know the version I watched. Um, it cuts away almost immediately. You know that that never happens. The mm. uh, the head between the legs. Yeah, just, there, there's, there's quite a lot more of it. Of yeah. Well, I suspect then the version that I watched is probably better because you get the idea of what's going to happen and then as soon as uh, it's about to happen, the door bursts open and the scene moves on. Mm. And I think that probably would have been a better way to handle it and maybe that's why we have different feelings about the film. Possibly. But, uh, yeah. But then she has a clothes ripped off for no good reason particularly. I mean... it. It's explained, but it's not... I mean, there is, there is male nudity here as well. I mean, it's not... Uh, but that doesn't feel uh, prurient in the way <laughs> in the way that it does yeah. with, uh, with Megan. Um, yeah, I, I do... But basically, a, I, where I, this, is, this is crass when it ought to be profound. Yeah. And yeah, I, they, I will admit they, that some, some of the story is like that too. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing that really struck me is, you know, the, there are bits of the story that I remember enjoying, and they aren't here at all, even though most of what's in the film, as we say, is in, in, from the story. Uh, the the yeah. whole idea that, yeah, that, that the first guy he um, brings back, who's attempting to claw his way back into the grave. Yes. I mean, that, yes. that's a wallop. Yes. Uh, the, the whole thing about the perimortem memories, it's, it's sort of here, but, you know. Well, the, it doesn't, one of them, in the story, uh, doesn't Herbert West say something like, oh, he died right in front of me, so I had a fresh specimen, and he revives him, mm-hmm. and then the guy's like, no, you fucking killed me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, which is, which is sort a, of here with Hill, but it, it doesn't feel... Yeah. It's not, it's not, yeah, the implication, it, it could have been a shock moment. Um, uh, that said, the way Jeffrey Coombs plays it, it wouldn't have been a shock. <laughs> so, so maybe we didn't need that. Um, I agree. I, I think I would lean into your excuse though, um, that the story isn't, is, is largely bereft of Lovecraft's skill in that area too. It, it doesn't, it's not a specially profound story, but, it does feel like it goes for the lowest common denominator a mm. lot of the time. Um, I, I will confess to disappointment on this one. I, I, I think you lowered my expectations. I, I like hey. it largely because of Jeffrey Coombs's. Uh, yeah, I, I will admit this is this is the one that everybody said was the great one. Yeah, it it doesn't feel Lovecraftian uh, particularly. Interestingly, or again, a bit. I mean, it, we, as much as the story is. It, it it is a fairly um i mean i don't know how you would have done it without leaning into the gore and frankly if they hadn't it might it probably wouldn't have been the success semi success that it was mm. uh and and maybe we're looking at it more from 2022 eyes its treatment of women that doesn't make it okay and we've certainly seen plenty of films in ribbon of memes that didn't treat women quite like this um well I'll come on to that more when we come on to the next film, I guess. Um, but yeah, yeah uh, I, Bri- I, I Brian, Brian Usner described the film as having the sort of shock sensibility of an Evil Dead with the production values of, hopefully, The Howling. I <laughs> don't think that happened. 
<laughs> um, I mean, Pauline Kael, very much like this film, so did Roger Ebert. I, I, I think they enjoyed that it absolutely leaned into the bonkers premise of it, um, mm. and pushed it, uh, um, uh, which I agree with. I mean, it remains fun in my memory. It has some problems. I'm glad, having spoken to you, well, going through this podcast, I'm glad I watched the R-rated version. I suspect the uncensored version doesn't add a lot to it. Um, mm, I, may, I may well go back and look for the other version now. At least, yeah, maybe watch uh, a few scenes again and see, because I think, uh, I don't remember it being as I suspect I watched the uncensored version first, but then, you know, your, your brain does tend to add a bit more gore. Hmm. Um uh, I do, I mean, talking about was it a masterpiece or not, it was certainly influential because, you know, a lot of comedies, th- there was a whole space of sort of not quite horror, not quite comedy films like Evil Dead, um, you know, that sort of thing. Evil Dead was after this, I think, wasn't it? Or am I misremembering? Um, uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, if you're just talking about having that sensibility, uh, uh, 81, the original one. Oh, was it? So it was after that. So it wasn't it? So it was part of it. And, and similarly, you know, we have, and certainly this wasn't an influence on Peter Jackson's early stuff, but it, um, uh, but it was influenced by it, I suspect. Um, yeah. Is it a masterpiece? No. <laughs> I don't think so. But I, I enjoy it for what it is. And I think if you watch it as a comedy and maybe watch the R-rated version, you may feel more kindly towards it, but, um, maybe not. I, I, I do appreciate where, where it's, as you say, it, I think that's a really good summary. It is, um, crass when it should be profound. Oh, um, uh, this is an influence on early Peter Jackson because bad taste is 1987. Oh, I bet it is then. Yeah, it's definitely bad taste, um, is this sort of thing. It, it again, does it has... have a, a very similar feel. I hadn't thought of it until now, but yes. Yeah, well, that, I, I, uh, yeah, I was sort of thinking aloud, but it really does have a similar sort of feel to it. Um, ju- quite juvenile. I don't want to sound like, uh, I don't want to sound unfun and boring, but it's not the bits of Lovecraft we like. And, you know, mm. one man's Lovecraftian or one person's Lovecraftian is another person's not Lovecraftian. Um, but for us, it doesn't. It's a faithful adaptation, but yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's Quite surprisingly faithful when one digs into it. Yeah, yeah. Which brings us on to Dagon, Stuart Gordon. So Stuart Gordon was very successful with this, uh, or I keep saying very successful. Um, by the standards of... By the standards of this sort of film, Expectations, it became a cult hit. He didn't have anything to do with the reanimator sequels, I don't think, or he certainly didn't direct them. Um, mm. He did do. He did make From Beyond, Beyond, yeah, which I haven't seen. Again, not my favourite Lovecraftian story, but probably better than Reanimator. I don't think From Beyond is quite as faithful, possibly. Um, but and that he, that also has Coombs and Crampton in it. Yes, so I gather. So I, I wouldn't mind seeing it. Um, then we are. Is it ninety? What, what was Dagan? Two thousand and two. 2002. So Dagon is a filming of The Shadow Over Innsmouth. Basically, yeah. Um, and it has... It's interesting. I had a sort of similar... Well, I had almost the opposite reaction to these two films. Like her uh, reanimator I enjoyed and thought it was fun, though I, I acknowledge why you felt less so. Dagon, I enjoyed half of it, and then I very rapidly cooled on it and mm. found it actually quite unpleasant. 
Yeah, I I remembered this. I I have seen it a few years ago. I I remembered it positively, and then I realised I remembered mostly the first half and and the final <laughs> scene. And the final yes. scene we'll get to, but uh... okay. Well, this is um, it's again like um, like Herbert, like like reanimate it. It is a contemporary version of the Shadow of Rinsworth moved from uh from a uh, a fishing village on the east coast to a fishing village in Spain. Is it on mainland Spain? I'm not quite sure. I don't think they ever specify. Um, It's obviously somewhere a bit remote. And the protagonist, uh, rather than being a sort of wanderer researcher, is a a Wall Street recent millionaire, billionaire, someone who's just floated the company. Um, Yeah. Is there there a lot of point to that? I don't know. I mean, it it, it comes into the first scenes and then it never seems to get mentioned again because, I mean, there's there's the whole fights for survival thing. It's difficult because it actually makes him quite an unsympathetic character at first, whereas you don't need to, because what he goes through, you're kind of with him for most of it, and you don't need that initial... Mm. They could have just been holidaymakers. Yeah, I agree. It felt like a bit of a pointless bit of backstory that he couldn't buy his way out. Um, Yeah, I'm with you. I I agree that he didn't need that. Um, The whole tone of it feels very different to me to Reanimator. Reanimator mm. feels campy fun and comedy. This would not with a straight face be described as a comedy, I don't think. Or I haven't mm. seen it described yeah, as a yeah. It's a thriller, I think. A, a th- yeah. horror thriller. A- action horror, perhaps. Well, yes, a yeah. bit of action. Well, I, you know, I, I mentioned uh, Shadow Over Innsmouth as one of the stories that is quite cinematic. And there is... Um, one of the very few successful Lovecrafting computer games is called Dark Corners of the Earth, and it's basically you replay the first half of Shadow Over Innsmouth, mm. which, um, if you haven't read it, you probably should, but yeah, um, uh, it, the character uh, is investigating... I've forgotten what takes him to Innsmouth, but um, uh, investigating this deserted... old, t- Well, not deserted, but old f- town on the East Coast... Um, uh, in New England, um, and finds the place basically filled with half-bred fishmen. And the first story, the first half of it, is him uh, evading capture. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what they want to do, but they clearly don't have my best interests at heart. So it, it does a really good job of building up tension of like, who are these guys? This is weird. Oh my god, this hotel's absolutely awful. Um, to I've got to escape out the window. They're actually attacking me, and that it, it does a great job of moving from. So this is a story mm. from tension to thriller, and then to revelation. And it fumbles the ending a bit, I feel, because the ending is, oh, you're a fishman all along. Um, but that comes right out of left field, uh, unless you know something about Lovecraft. Or, and that's mm. basically the last page of it. It's like, oh, it turns out I'm a fishman and I'm quite happy as well. Um, but up until that point, I think it is really one of his best stories. Um, because you're really with, it's very in the moment. You're with him while these fishmen are trying to batter down the door. Um, and there's all stuff about how he locks the door. Um, and that is all here. You know, that mm. first half is, mm. again, it's slightly different context. But he goes to this town full of creepy guys. In this case, he's gone there because of a maritime emergency. Um, which was probably caused by the fishmen. I think we assume. But the the slow ratcheting up of tension up to the 
holy shit, they're actually going to kill me, is handled really well here, mm. I, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there, there are bits of it that, that are perhaps a little petty. You, know, you, you really think four little wood screws are going to hold all those guys back for more than three <laughs> seconds. Uh, well, again, I like the physicality of that moment. He's fumbling with the screws. Yeah. You're right, though. That did take me out of it. They're like, well, okay, <laughs> really? Um, and I think the story does it better because that, that does go into some detail about I don't think he has to. I can't remember if he has to re-screw something um, in the story, but he doesn't do it during the attack if he does. Um, mm. But that's good, and then we have the, the you know the falling out of the window. Yeah, and, and for that matter, looking out of the window to see the mob gathering works yes. very nicely. And the creepiness of these people is well, you know, they're not zombies. There clearly is literally something fishy about them, and, and that is you know that's nicely indicate they're they're just not at home on land and I think that's well in a way that you know is a bit tiresomely done with zombies sometimes I think here I did believe that these people were just aching to jump in the sea and swim about mm. because they were just not land based Which and that also went uh, went well with the pacing because every time you thought he was going to get caught these fishy people were so inept that he could find his way out of it though getting more and more injured along the way and, and in a worse situation hmm. I also greatly appreciate coming from a role playing background when he gets in the car <laughs> attempts to hotwire it mm-hmm. um, utterly fails his uh, electrical repair role or whatever system you prefer and sets the horn off instead <laughs> to mm-hmm. abandon the car I, I really like that uh, ineptitude in having to deal with it It's the, the opening half I, I really really liked yeah and the point at which I started thinking meh was just after he's dropped out of the window and, oh, look, here's a flayed skin and it's obviously human. And Yeah, that yeah. is an addition to the story. Um, I don't, certainly don't remember it in Lovecraft's story. It, that about worked for me, but I agree. That's when you start thinking, oh, okay, we're in sort of Texas Chainsaw Massacre territory as well. Um, yeah. Uh, I... I really, frankly, and I, I'm not, you know, we've talked about how we're not terribly worried about anatomical stuff. I am not in any way a fan of torture porn, which mm. fortunately seems to be dying off a bit uh, since its heyday around about this time, I guess. I don't know when Saw was, which is the, the poster child for this sort of stuff, but it was around, it was the early 2000s, I believe. Mm. Um, that scene where they... 2004. Two thousand and four, but so it was clearly something in the air around then that this was a thing. The scene where the the cult have them and they basically murder the Zadok Allen character. I don't know if he's named in this. I don't remember. Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Uh, Played by Francisco Rabal, actually his last film role before he died, uh, which is why the film's dedicated to him. He's very good in it. Yeah. Um, uh, I just found that deeply unpleasant. Where they basically take his skin off. I I I couldn't watch it. It, and it, I, it I felt thought, it felt like gore for the sake of it. it. It did. It did. I mean, I it took a left turn there for me from thriller, from excitement to just, oh, you know what? I don't want to watch it because part part of me is thinking this is a film. All right, I, we don't. Uh, this isn't actually happening, so we don't have to dwell on it with such obvious mm. glee as you are doing. And it didn't have the saving grace for me of reanimator of the this is funny you know or this is over the top for the sake of it this it didn't 
for some reason it didn't redeem it and I just felt unpleasant having watched it. Yeah, and there's also, I mean, possibly because I wasn't being sufficiently distracted by what was going on, I couldn't help thinking, you know, if you want the guy's face to wear, you, re- you really want all the muscles to be as relaxed as possible when, <laughs> yes. when, you, when you're removing it. There are better ways to flaying people, and, and probably I mean, you know, you want him to lose a bit of weight first, and that sort of. G- give him seventeen bottles of vodka, and then take take it off while he's asleep, and then murder him. You know, it's, it's going to work much better. It wouldn't have yeah. had quite the same impact. I mean, this, I suppose, yeah, it yeah. had an impact, but yeah, I, but I agree. You know, as, as far as technical uh, process of flaying, it wasn't ideal. I <laughs> that's true. Uh, on the other hand, just before that, I mean, the um, the. After the car crash in the rain, that whole unnatural vitality thing is lovely. Uh, the fight in the flooded yes. house. Oh yeah, oh, that's, that's just great. That's that's a beautiful sequence. I, yes, exactly. I was well. I, I, again, I talked about physicality a few times recently, but yeah, it, it really feels they're constrained by the environment they're in. He's lost his glasses, which I sympathised with, and it just um, mm-hmm. there's the kids there. They was does a great job of, and then the the being that he fights, which is you know half human, half something else, uh, but not quite glimpsed, and you're not quite clear. You just know. You know, you feel like you know about as much as him, which is he's in serious trouble. Mm. Um, yeah, I absolutely agree. That's a great scene. That's great. But yeah, and really, every, everything after the great flashback, which is pretty much halfway through the film, yeah, feels as if it's deviating more and more from a the Lovecraftian pattern and b the stuff I enjoy, which are not completely the same thing, but come quite close to each other. Yeah, well, the, the story then leans into revelation of what's happened to this village and the horror and yes it's got Lovecraft's trademark we bred with foreigners and that's what done us in we, you know we mm-hmm. should have remained pure um, but it's though, though with more of an emphasis on we, um, uh, we we followed strange gods which is fair enough yes exactly and you know in this case at least the foreigners are um, half human fishmen and it's quite clear the effect and I, I do quite like the whole that that whole flashback in the church bit of you we are casting down the old images and all the rest of it yes it, yeah. it, it's obvious but it, it's you know it, it works for me it works yeah I agree um, but the, the revelation uh, it, it then to me descends into kind of uh, unnecessary gratuitous kind of gore and, uh, and mm. torture porn and that's what you know the final sequence well you know the other thing that's been added here women you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're not in the, in the shadow over into and again you know on the one hand there's some of the Joss Whedon you know this is a kick-ass woman you know she can beat people but then she is you know does she have to be entirely naked for the last scene do we have to see quite what she goes through um uh, is it, you know, it's implied she's raped while she's down there. Mm-hmm. Um, it just all the. And, and again, I, I would point out that Paul promised to kill her if that happened and then failed to do it. Yeah, I mean exactly. that wouldn't have made his remaining life any better, but it certainly made hers better. It would, yeah. So uh, that was a well, that was a. I, I didn't mind that moment too much. If I felt like that was. A good moment, yeah. His failure, uh, Paul. Uh, he's a marsh, isn't he? Of course, he's a marsh. Everyone. <laughs> um, everyone's a marsh in these Um I just, again, I think the film had lost me at that point, and maybe, I, I mean, I, I did again. I did appreciate the way he approached the final ritual, 
felt very much like a scenario, you know, a Call of Cthulhu scenario. I've just set fire to them. I've got some gasoline here. And yeah, and, and that really isn't enough paraffin. Oh, yes. I, sorry, I should say that Roger's suicide corner has been removed by advice of counsel. Uh, so <laughs> we won't be talking about that. Uh, no, no, that's probably a good idea. Um, uh, eh, um, oh, well, the, there, is, so there is this pacing problem. Because when, when he's... So earlier, you know, he's broken into the house. He meets Ushia in the flesh for the first time. Yes. She tells him what's going to happen. And she is exactly right, but there are still 20 minutes of film to go before we get there. <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, that's true. And you lose sympathy with Paul a bit when he starts making out with... Y- you know, I, I, it didn't quite sell it to me. Well, I, uh, I, I, th- I think he thinks she's dead. He thinks his actual girlfriend's dead at the time. Yeah, but like for 20 minutes or whatever, you know, it's still probably a bit too soon to be making out with someone you just met. Um, oh, right. I'll, I'll have to bear that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also think where we both agree, you know, the central performance in Reanimator is very good. It isn't here. I don't know. I, I don't know that he does a great job. It's not terrible. It's not brilliant. Yeah. Um, no, nobody really stood out to me apart from Francisco Rabal, Ezekiel. Yes, he's very good in it. Um, uh, apparently, um, Raquel Moreno, um, sorry, Moreno, uh, Barbara, Barbara uh, yeah. he, he's, he's, was at the time um, quite, quite a big name TV star in Spain. Um, well, so, I mean, she's, but, she doesn't yeah. get much to do. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I the, the, she's not bad. No, no, nobody yeah. in this is, is is particularly bad. But there's nothing in there that says, "Gosh, this is a star." To me, yeah. I, I think my problem is the kind of left turn from thriller into I'm Stuart Gordon. I've got to put this in now because people are expecting it of me because it's because I made Reanimator, and that's partly what it felt like to me. But it mm. didn't have the kind of uh, uh, it didn't have the excuse of Reanimator to me. I, I like the effects in it. I, the, you know, as I say, the fishy people and the tentacles just poking out of their clothes. Uh, uh, it just it for me maybe, maybe L- largely more. free of um, soundtrack music. Which works. Yes, I do. That, that's the thing I'm generally in favour of anyway, but I think it worked very well here. Yes, and I must say, it, it feels, uh, I don't know, whereas for Reanimator, I think it does what it's supposed to. You, you know, you can, it's that kind of schlocky, um, <laughs> 80s horror movie music, which hmm. it probably needed, I think. But here, yes, largely. Well, free. actually, it was largely based on Psycho. Uh, the composer admitted uh, yes, it. Yes, that's right. So. That's why I, that's why it sounded familiar. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm being a bit sad. I'm being a bit mean on the film, but I, I ultimately it left a sour taste in my mouth. But I didn't feel like I don't mind a film doing that if I feel like there was a point to it, or I've learned something about humanity, even if it was something I didn't want to. Here, it didn't feel like it needed it. Yeah, I, I liked the first half. I liked some of the first two thirds. Yeah, but but I do think it, as you say, fell fell apart where it where it goes into. I, I'm going to be a horror director now. Yeah, that's what it feels like to me. I, I mean, is it faithful to the Shadow Over Innsworth? Largely, but again, the the additions. Um, I, I wouldn't yeah. say there's anything that's inconsistent there. No, 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 that's true. And the cult is implied. And you know, and I'm saying, oh, she was probably raped when she was down there. Well, you know, Lovecraft 
definitely strongly implied that you know there was rape going on here you know it was no it was that's not not part of the story you're right it, it's all it all fits uh yeah it, it just didn't quite work for me at the end maybe i've just got old but um mm. so that I, I didn't had, enjoy it as much this time as last which was i don't know 10 or more years ago so both of these films, I guess, neither of us fully enjoyed perhaps as much as we would, given that we're both big fans of Lovecraft's work. Uh, perhaps we're asking him to be more Lovecraftian. Yeah, or our, our definition of Lovecraftian, at least. Um, yeah, they are okay. I mean, I, I'm not sure. Neither of them... If I'd seen those and then someone said, read these stories by this guy, I'd be like, no... I'm all right. <laughs> so, mm. I, I don't think they would have interested me in Lovecraft's work. Yeah, I mean, um, Love, Lovecraft does have his info dumps, but this, I, I feel that explaining the details is a mistake. Often, I think Lovecraft gets away. You know, Call of Cthulhu is basically one big info dump, mm. but he can do it um, because although he has some flaws in characterization and plotting, and I, I think his imagination just wins it for him but a lot of people can't do that um, and I, I I think it fails a bit in Dagon there were some films mm. I would have loved to seen Del Toro's uh, At the Mansions of Madness I probably would have preferred to see um, James Cameron's At the Mansions of Madness mm. <laughs> um, uh, I don't remember the details I, I, I saw some um, notes from Del Toro and what, what he had vaguely planned to do and uh, he sa- sounded as if he was going to do tw- tweak it around quite a lot. Okay. Well, I mean, it, it probably has some pacing issues. I might be misremembering and thinking of Beyond the Mountains of Madness, which is the sequel, which certainly has some pacing issues, which is not Lovecraft was not involved with, of course. Um, apparently, I, apparently, what uh, it, apart from other problems, it, it uh, was regarded as too similar to Prometheus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was it? Oh dear. Uh, I think that was it. Yeah, Ridley Scott did discover it with Prometheus, didn't he? Which it, uh, I guess has similar themes of the dawn of humanity. Uh, yeah, all right, fair point. Mm. Um, I'd love to see someone do the Dunwich horror properly, but there we go. Not yeah, me. Uh, which is I've, I've forgotten the title now. Uh, the the one with the essential salts. Oh, the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Yes. I mean, well, well, of course, that that has been done in in, in the radio play. Uh, yes, the uh, what's his name? But uh, that was um, well, uh, that's been done in a number of ways because we had the recent BBC series, hmm. um, which was loosely based on a number of Lovecraft stuff, wasn't it? And then we have uh, we have the Miskaton, um, the HPLH, uh, HP. Uh, the the Lovecraft Historical Society HPLHS, <laughs> which I can never get through successfully, um, have done a number of really good audio dramas. Um, mm. Yeah, so th- there are some very uh, faithful Lovecraft adaptations, but they're largely by fans, and I, I'm a bit confused as to why everything Stephen King has ever written, either in a book or on the back of a napkin, has been faithfully <laughs> adapted. Um, sometimes because he's there to well. argue with the filmmakers. Well, I guess so, yeah. But and 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 he learnt his lesson after, after was it Maximum Overdrive? Uh, yes, I gather that was the one that he realised he was going to have more to do with his. Um... Well, no, no, that that uh, that was the one that that uh, he directed. 
Are we directed that one? Oh my god, okay. I thought he'd seen it and was horrified by it. Um, and he, uh, and, it, it and was, he was, and, and the, so he didn't try to direct again. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Because what, whatever his other skills, he ain't a great director, clearly. It's strange, though, because, you know, uh, Stephen King's had people approach his work very seriously. You know, we've had Stanley Kubrick do one of his films, one of his stories, and I, I not that I don't think King deserves it. I think sometimes he's underrated as a writer because of his popularity. But Lovecraft deserves that too, and he's never really had it. Um, mm. Or not in the films we've talked about here. It, it probably does help that um, King is there to argue with people, though. Yeah, I think you're probably right, yes. Um, even if he, he argued a lot with Stanley Kubrick, who basically just ignored him. <laughs> but it probably <laughs> helped anyway. Um all right, well, there we are, our Lovecraftathon. Um, it was only two films in the end. I would like to track down the colour out of space. Um, we have seen the HP LHS films too. Um, yeah, we, we may come and revisit at some point. I, I don't, I don't think it's spoiling it. I don't think either of these are masterpieces. Um, mm. whereas I do think Lovecraft's overall body of work and a number of his stories genuinely are literary masterpieces. Yeah, I mean, by the- that, that no, neither of these films is one I would rush to show to somebody. No, that's a no. good point. If someone says you're a Lovecraft fan, what is it you like? You're like, well, okay, well, let's <laughs> yeah. maybe don't take your cue from Reanimator. Um, yeah, that's a fair point. Right, well, there we are. I think we've correlated enough contents for one episode. No one leave the podcast. People come, no one leave. <laughs> I have been trying to get it out for 40 episodes now. That's not true. Um, All right, we will meet again in 1995.